Hello and welcome to the podcast, A Voice for the Hurting. This is season three, a season dedicated entirely to stories of how God is faithful through the roughest times in our lives. I truly believe that we can gain in faith and hope through other people's stories and testimonies. So pull up a chair, listen closely, and be encouraged by today's story. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce David Knapp. He is an author and a speaker, and today he's going to talk to us about how God was faithful in his journey. Good morning, David. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm doing great today. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Okay, my background, I actually went to a college and seminary in Kansas City and with the objective of attending uh, and working as a missionary. And that's what I did. I actually met my first wife at a missionary conference in Urbana, Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, a long time ago. And at that conference, God spoke to me about being involved in world missions. And I volunteered uh, to serve God in that capacity. So we got married and went off, went on with our, our um, uh, assignment and I joined an Oregon missionary agency called New Tribes Mission and my second assignment with the New Tribes Mission was to be on the teaching staff and 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 president of a Bible Bible school junior college level Bible school that they operated in Jackson Michigan while there my wife uh, found a lump uh, on the breast and uh, it was uh, actually turned out to be terminal cancer. Yeah, and yeah. so for the, for the next seven years, we uh, battled that cancer in her body before she won and was elevated to heaven. At that point in our life, uh, the life was very challenging. Um, of course, we had four children, small, uh, the youngest one that when she first was diagnosed was just being potty trained. In fact, I finished potty training him while she went through her first round of chemotherapy. Um, and during that time, I was teaching in the classroom and uh, managing her, her activities, going to doctors and in and out of the hospital and, and uh, four kids as well. And one of the passages of scripture that God gave me was one that I was studying in 1 John chapter 4, and I was starting to feel like that maybe I wasn't being as loving as I should be, and God spoke to me through that, you know, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he did something about it. He acted, Yes. and God basically told me, you're doing okay because you're acting. It doesn't matter how you feel. And I shared that with my wife and it was significant because we had a habit of, of uh, having a annual state of the union, meaning our relationship experience, uh, kind of a date out kind of thing. And I shared with her that, that verse and the, the, that message. And she just nodded and says, I thought so. Meaning she could tell that I wasn't feeling um, because of the, and everybody, our whole life concentrated on her care and treatment. And it's like, I was in the background. In fact, at one point I actually said to myself, 
if one more person asks me how my wife's doing and don't doesn't care about me, I'm going to scream. Right, uh, well, right. I didn't ever say that, but that's <laughs> kind of what my feelings were. But God assured me that my love for her was still intact, just like his love for me, because I'm acting properly towards her. Yes. And that was that was huge in um, where I was at that time during her her treatments of cancer. Well, at the end of that, that then she was elevated to heaven. I was left with four children that by that time they're approaching teenage. And um, I was still, you know, teaching at the college and um, and all that. Well, then the next year, God brought a widow lady. Uh, it was actually prearranged. Some mutual friends said, hey, you need to go to this school because there's a guy there you need to meet. And uh, anyhow, so this widow lady um, came to the school who had four boys, um, and those boys were about the same age as my four children. Yeah. So we did meet and fell in love. And when when she came along, I could God actually said to me, "Okay, here's one, marry her." Yeah. What? Well, wait a minute! Is it that simple? And but uh, anyhow, the actions and the feelings followed. So she did come and come to the school and the, we started dating right away. And the next year we got married. And yes, we blended eight teenagers, eight teenagers, uh, eight teenagers, <laughs> yep, ages uh, nearly 13 to 19. And uh, her her four and my four were, were uh, three of them had a, a you know, it was like this, you know, the, her oldest stayed the oldest, my youngest stayed the youngest, but the other three had a, a new sibling now. So I had six boys and two girls now because I had two and two um, before. And so we did that. We blended eight teenagers. And for the next year, we finished. She was actually a student. So she finished up her training there. And then we we left that facility and I um joined another agency, another school out in Wyoming called Frontier School of the Bible. And I was there as the dean um, and also a professor. And so we moved our whole clan out there. By that time, many, a couple of them were in college already. And <clears throat> at one time we had five in high school, but then at another time, of course, we had five in college all at the yeah. same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, uh, that blending process, which is another whole story, um, had a lot of ups and downs and challenges, but and people ask, you know, well, what was it like? I says, well, you got two families, you got twice as many issues, but every, each family brought their own issues to the table and we just worked through that in a, um, in a godly fashion, we believe, and tr trusting God and with counsel and Joined a church there in Nebraska, which is right on the order of, uh, on the border of Wyoming, and because the school was in Wyoming, and the everything, it, it, the church grew, the, the Bible school grew, and uh, then Lord, the Lord began to work and have a, have me rejoin back with the, a new tribe's mission, and fast forward after twenty years of marriage, uh, Judith was was diagnosed finally she was sick for a while and the doctors couldn't figure out why and finally she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer 
And by the time that was found, she survived um, three months and was elevated to glory. Wow. Three months after the diagnosis. Yeah. After we knew for sure what was wrong. Now we knew that there was something that mattered because the, because the five years previous to that, we bounced from doctor to doctor. We changed doctors eight times trying to figure out why she was having these symptoms, but no doctors actually put them all together and look for cause. And um, anyhow, so finally the diagnosis was there that, you know, okay, well, we, this is stage four pancreatic cancer and there's nothing that can be done at this point. Yeah. Well, so anyhow, we started by that time. Now it's a different scenario for me, By that time, instead of having young children at home to keep me occupied and to be responsible to this time after the funeral, after all the kids went home, I came home to an empty house. Oh, that, and that's completely different. Totally different. I mean, and we're, and I lived in Arizona, Arizona and uh, no heater, no air conditioner running. It was just silent. The phone stopped ringing because everybody knew she died. It was like the loneliness and the stillness was deafening. Yeah. Both times found myself roaming around the house looking for what? I don't know. It's like a little toddler looking for the pacifier. It's just this hankering, this hole in my soul. Well, after that event happened, my after my first wife died, I begged God for something for me. Give me some fresh insight, something that I can cling to. Yeah. That yeah. will give me uh, some encouragement, lift me up and uh, sustain me. Well, he did that. And I only had the chance to share this like one time after my first wife died. And what it was, was I came into my office one day, turned on the radio I had gone, and the song He's Alive came on. And I it hit me. The disciples, they were all grieving. Yes. Now I know what it it's like to grieve this deeply. I hadn't experienced it. As, a, as an adult. Now, my dad was killed in a farming accident when I was 11. And I watched my mom grieve. But as a kid, that's, you know, about it. Now, as an adult, I had never experienced this type of grief where my, it was uncontrollable, uh, sobbing at from time to time, and a grief that was uh, deep. And this hole in my soul was unquenchable. Well, what happened? I began to realize, okay, Jesus as a leader, and I've studied Jesus as a leader before, Jesus as a leader, I'm sure, did something to help prepare his disciples for this event. Right. He had had to have. So I went back in the gospel of John and reread the, what's not called the upper room discourse. It's the last major sermon that Jesus gave his disciples. And I started studying it. Is there any hints here about Jesus preparing them how to operate or function when he's gone and what to do about it? Well, much to my amazement, between chapter um, 13 and chapter 18, 11 times Jesus made the statement or inference now I'm going away, you know, remember I told you I'm leaving when I'm gone in now, 
and, uh, and 11 times. 11 times. Yeah. In I didn't realize those, that. Yeah. And in between those 11 comments, he gives teaching and it starts with love one another. That's the yeah. first one. There's 15, 15 things to do in the midst of dealing with loneliness, being alone or feeling alone. And uh, so I clung to that. And I was able, like I said, I was able to share that uh, to a large audience one time during that next year. And then life went on. I just told you I got married and away we went. Well, after my second wife died, a lot of people came to me and says, Dave, even my kids would say, Dad, I have no clue what you're going to. This is twice. I, I have no idea. Uh, what it's like for what you're going through. And, uh, and I even had people ask me, is it easier or harder the second time? And they, the, the short answer is it's harder. Yeah. Partly, beca partly because I knew what, how bad I was going to have to hurt before I could heal. And um, in my relationship with my second wife was much deeper uh, than even my first wife, even though we, I was married to both of them 20 years but it's still, I was, you know, the first 20, I was actually relatively young. And the second one, I was uh, more mature. And hopefully I'd learned a few things over the years about godliness and, and, and relationships and the emotions of love. So after my second wife died, I um, began to record my progress, kind of lay out, here's, you know, I... I advanced a little bit today because I, for the first time, went out alone to a social event. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. advanced a little bit again today because for the first time I was out talking to a stranger and they asked me, so where's your wife? Uh, she's in heaven. Yeah. And that was like a milestone to get past that kind of a thing. And, uh, and then, then it was a major milestone to meet a new a stranger and not feel like I could, I had to explain to them that I'm recently widowed. It was like a new identity. I, I could be who I am. Well, from January, both of them died in October, from January till June, the next year, after my second wife died, I had invitations to speak publicly mm -hmm. 11 times to audience that range anywhere from 12 to 5,000. Wow. And, and many people after those, uh, uh, those events came up to me and said, have you, have you written any of that down? That was really helpful. I've, that, and people that are non-grievers and people that are grievers alike. And so after just a few of those experiences, God spoke to me and says, don't hoard your lessons. Yeah. So I knew I had to I write them down. I knew I had to write uh, write a book. Well, then, of course, I had to start. I, I had some notes, you know, from my first first um, um, wife's experiences. Um, it was actually audio, and I had my my daughter transcribed them so I, I could see what I what I said. Yeah. And then and then I had the, the emails I was sending to my kids and my notes from speaking to people. And then, so the question came, well, okay, I, 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 want, to, I, I want my book, the first one to, to be a help, but I, who am I, who am I, what's my audience? 
And instead of my audience just being uh, everybody who's grieving, I thought, you know what, I really would like to help everybody else because I had so many people after my second wife died, ask, tell me, I didn't, I have no clue what you're going through. Well, the next summer, I actually was, um, went back to uh, Nebraska where we had been living to attend a funeral. And after the funeral, the pastor came up to me and said, him and his wife, and they looked at me and they says, Dave, after Judith, his second wife died, we didn't know what to say. Yeah. And I thought, well, I do. And suddenly <laughs> I, had, I had the the title to my book. Yes. Uh, I didn't know what to say. So I started writing that. And then the next year I got married and my wife now, Crystal, was an editor of a, a, a international magazine. And so with her prompting and help, we were able to put together the book. I didn't know what to say. Meanwhile, as I spoke, a lot of a lot of the places I, I spoke at, some were business meetings, but m- many were churches or religious uh, group leaders. I would share my my because I, I revisited the the gospel, the upper room discourse, the eleven comments, the fifteen things of what to do, and um, that one ha- has resonated with a lot of a lot of people. And so the title to that book, which is still in the printing, still in the development stages, is Turning Loneliness into Godliness. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it yep. already. <laughs> so that, that book is, is um, down the road a bit still, but uh, kind of in the works. Well, meanwhile, uh, my, my wife now, Crystal, uh, and I began to realize, you know, okay, now the book I didn't know what to say is written for helpers. We still need a tool for the grievers, something to help them. And, you know, and I've had several people come up to me after I would speak and say, okay, how do I know how how I'm doing? I want to grieve well, like you're talking about, but I don't know how I'm doing. How do I, I don't know how to grieve. And I thought, well, I do, I guess we could give you some guidance. So what we've done, we've put together a, a, a grief journal guide. Yeah. It's called uh, Re- Recording Your Sorrows, Hoping for Joy. And it's new to markets, been out a couple months now, only available at the present, either from me directly or uh, on Amazon. But it goes through with uh, some instruct guidelines. It's not just a, a book with blank pages. There's a paragraph often with guidance on, on what to do and, and tools on how to do that. And so anyhow, through the whole process, uh, I've had people ask me, so Dave, and I'm, I'm saying this very humbly, Dave, how have you been able to remain strong in faith going through two wives dying and you changing your life every time, totally? And I says, well, in all, in all reality, I was able to remain strong in faith because I don't just practice my faith when I'm going through a crisis. Yes. I, I practice my faith throughout my life and in everything, even when things are going good, I walk by faith. So whenever a crisis comes along, I'm not learning two things. A lot of people, when Christians, when a crisis comes along, 
one, they have to learn how to trust God in a new way. And two, they're going through the, the hardship. Um, I only had to go through the hardship. I didn't have to learn how to walk with God because I practice it on a regular daily basis. And that's one of my challenges to folks. If you're a person, you, okay, maybe you haven't had a severe uh, challenge in life or a big loss like I'm describing or other people that I that you might know that you don't don't wait till that happens to have to learn how to trust God. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that now that brings up a question then even though you had faith the whole time, did you still question God when everything happened? I'll have to be honest. I really did not. Um, I did not find myself wrestling with the why question. Uh, I know a lot of people, that's the first thing they go, why me? Why me? Bad things always happen to me. And I knew different. I know why it's like, it's more like, why not me? Mm-hmm. I mean, why should I be exempt from the pains of life, the pains of, of living in a sin-sick world, the curse of, the, of sin that's all around us? Jesus promised that in the world you're going to have tribulations, but I've overcome the world, and I just clung to that. It's, it's more like I was just looking for, okay, Lord, how do I get through this, and what's next? It's instead of why? How come I have to do that? I, I really, that really was not a big struggle for me. Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing about how you just worded that when I was going through my divorce, I was asking God, why me? And one of my dear friends said, maybe it's time to stop asking why and start asking what's next. Just right. like you just said. Yeah. And cause God, he doesn't waste anything. You know what I mean? He, he, takes us he walks with us through all of these things and like you said we're gonna have trouble but god has already overcome all of that and if we let him then he'll use it right yep that's the uh that's the promise and um but remember i had already given my life as a missionary and when had had grappled with the the question well what if i what if i'm asked to go to a primitive culture and um that's where my life ends and i was already willing to do that so um i you know whenever tragedy comes along it's you don't expect it never and you're never prepared for it but my my trust in god's hand overshadowed those human questions yeah yeah that's good so as a missionary, did you pretty much end up um, doing mostly academic work, or did you ever end up going into another country? Did I have. You? I I've traveled abroad um, on temporary assignments. Yeah. Uh, the longest longest time I was abroad, I was in Brazil for like uh, six weeks at one time. Um, most of my uh, uh, assignments abroad have been for like two weeks. I've led short-term missionary trips um, with groups to Mexico, to Panama, uh, Panama twice actually. And um, but my, as far as my assignment with uh, New Tribes Mission, now called Ethnos 360, um, but uh, my main assignment has been training. I was at the candidate level as a trainer. 
uh, physically training missionary candidates to go to the field about seven years. And I was in the Bible Institute almost 14 years as a Bible school teacher and professor. Um, and then after that, four years at Frontier School of the Bible. And then since I left Frontier and rejoined New, New Tribes Mission, I've been operating as a, a representative. I travel um, around the country sometimes and speak at camps, conferences, churches, whatever. I work with major donors, oftentimes uh, helping them understand our organization and how they could fit in. And uh, I still do that today. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, when, when you did start speaking, did it just come naturally to you for what to say to everyone? Are you talking about my original ministry beginning or, or my um, uh, grieving speaking? Let's say the grieving speaking. The grieving speaking actually was down the road away. See, I had already been a teacher and professor uh, for almost um, almost 15 years, so I and a, a conference speaker, and <clears throat> so I, speaking publicly and even speaking off the cuff, uh, it was it came easy for me. It's part of my actually speaking is, teaching is one of my spiritual gifts. So and I've developed that uh, pretty well over the years. So quite frankly, I. Uh, I'm one of the unusual people that I look forward to speaking <laughs> and you know, a lot of people having to speak publicly is the next thing in stress level of death, you know, right. but for, <laughs> for me, I get fired up. I, I enjoy that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so what would you say to someone today who's going through a grieving process? Well, one of the things, of course, is that many people think that there's something wrong with them whenever the grieving process begins. They feel out of control sometimes. They're confused. They've never felt this bad before. They don't have any answers. It doesn't look like it's ever going to go away. Uh, just a number of confusions that people experience. And uh, sometimes the, the response is, well, I've got to get over this. Grief is not something you get over. Grief is something that you go through. Yeah. Um, and you process, it's a process, not an event. And I, a lot of people, they see grieving as more of an event. Um, and if you, if they don't see you cry, then you haven't grieved. Well, that you don't understand grief then. Um, but so grieving is, is, is normal. It's actually necessary. If I cut my arm, I'm uh, on, a, on a thorn or something, I'm going to kind of keep an eye on that. I'm going to treat it. I don't want to get infection. I want it to heal properly. I don't, I don't want a bad scar. Uh, if it needs stitches, I'll take care of that. If not, I'll keep it. I'll, 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 I'll tend to it until it heals. And it's not an immediate thing. The healing is a process. Yes. Well, guess what? Grief is a broken heart. And it's a spirit that's been damaged and either through rejection or loss or uh, defiance, something has caused that your spirit and your emotions to be severely hurt. And that needs to be addressed. You can't stuff it because quite frankly, if people who stuff grief will grieve later, either right. the next major thing that happens in their life, they'll explode and they wonder where did that come from? 
Well, that's from that pile of grief that you did process back five years ago. That's where that came from. <clears throat> and it <clears throat> also is a hindrance um, to a person uh, moving forward in, in just a lot of ways. So, and, it, and it's true, like they say, hurting people hurt people. Yes. And you want to grieve and you want to grieve well, and it takes time and process to do that. So commonly, what I would say to a grieving person is, that's okay. It's natural. Go through it. Get help if you need it. Don't feel bad about that. If you, know, if you had a physical ailment, you go to a doctor to get help. This is an emotional and a heart issue. Get help if you need it and, and, and work through it because you will heal. Yeah. I love how you said that you need to grieve well. Do you, yes. I know that that probably looks different for everyone because <laughs> yeah. yeah, the grief process is, is different for everyone, but what do you think is a marker of uh, like maybe a sign that you are grieving? Well, I being a kind of a student of life, I, after my first wife died, I wanted to understand what I was going through. And I was would look at my own self, and there was a lot of times I, I found that, well, you know, it would really help me if I could just talk through again my wife's death. But af after three weeks, nobody talked to me about her. It's like they don't want to, They didn't want to hurt me. They didn't want to make me cry. I was just getting started yeah. processing. You see, so I went looking for other men or other people in leadership. Because I was in Michigan, the president of a college, and kind of well known, and I knew a lot of leaders around the state, and I had I realized that I did know uh, two or three other people that had lost a spouse while they were in leadership, so I contacted them, yeah, and and I went to just chat and talk to them, and I, uh, to just to to work through the process, and one of those had been the. Uh, academic, uh, the dean of students at another college in Grand Rapids. And uh, he taught me uh, about grieving. He says, look, for you to be emotionally whole on the other side, you want to grieve well. You want to embrace your grief. You And, and for me, I use the term, you want to lean into it, not pull away uh, from the grieving process. And um, some, of the, some of the milestones has to do with I, uh, identity, who you are, um, you know, are you the, uh, if, you are, are, if you're gonna be the perpetual person, uh, like in your case, you're, if, well, I'm the divorcee, so I'm the perpetually known as the divorcee. No, you're, you're Lori, you're, yeah. a, you're a, a whole single person. You, you you don't as long and for so you for you to be, have the freedom to be known as who you are as an individual, not what has happened to you. That's a milestone. Um, another milestone is all the firsts that take place after an event: the first holiday, the first anniversary, the first time meeting your best friend after it happened. The first time meeting your college friend who you haven't seen in five years, you know, all the all the first events, instead of avoiding them, each of those can be milestones in your healing. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there's a number of things like that that could help someone 
um, not pull away from the grieving process, but allow and actually, like I said, lean into it. Yeah. So is that what your journal helps people to do? It is. Yep. That the, the journal gives guidelines. Uh, okay. Now describe what it was like this day. Okay. It's been three months now. Uh, what kind of a prayer would you issue to God today? Six months later. Okay. How would your prayer be different today than it was three months ago? That kind of stuff. Um, and then in the back, there actually is a place to list, to, to explain here, what was the first holiday like for you? What was the first birthday like? Describe that. Yeah, uh, I think that's a perfect lead in then to your other book, because you were saying how, like, after three weeks, nobody contacted you or asked you how you were doing. So, yeah. yeah. So what do you say to the people who don't know what to say? <laughs> The helpers, you called them. Okay, <clears throat> two things. There's there's two things that I included in the book that is, in my opinion, a lot of people as well, is worth getting the book. One of them is there is a, a one-year schedule on how to help someone who's grieving. Okay. Uh, what to do, What at this point do this, at this point do this, at this point do this. And on the anniversary of the event, give them a call or take them out to dinner or whatever. So there's a, a, a schedule on what you can do in the first year to help someone who's gone through a major loss. The other thing is at the end of each chapter, there's 14 chapters. At the end of each chapter, there's a list of a half a dozen things. It's better to say this instead of this. It's better to say this instead. Of, and that list, um, it can be acquired online, but that list is valuable to help people. I've, I've had several people, even in the last year, and the book's been out five years. Uh, I've had people in the last year even say, Dave, I keep your book handy whenever I, I pull up and flip through the end of the, some of the chapters. Uh, for suggestions every time I have an event or somebody that I need to talk to. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. And honestly, so in all of my own experiences, I do find that like people say a lot of really trite things that aren't necessarily true right. <laughs> when, right, right. When they're trying to help you because they don't know what to say. Yeah. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful resource that you've created. You said it's separated into more of a topical it is. It, the, the book is not a, uh, a one big long story. It's not, it doesn't require that you read the whole thing. It's divided into chapters by topics. Um, there's, you know, of course, there's one, one chapter, pardon me, one chapter is my story for background. Another chapter is uh, what it's like to, to lose a spouse. Uh, the biggest chapter is the children the loss of a child and helping children deal with loss. Uh, another one is losing a job or moving away or changing cultures. The shock of that, and, you know, so that, like I said, there's different chapters. So a person doesn't have to read the whole thing to be benefit. You can actually go through and just pick out the chapters that apply uh, currently. Uh, but at the end of each chapter, like I said, there's suggestions to, to work with. Yeah. So at the beginning, you had mentioned a verse or a section that had meant a lot to you? Are there any other Bible verses that really meant a lot to you when you were grieving? One of the things I noticed during the grieving process was verses that God had already worked in my life with emotion. Those verses came alive again. They were refreshed. One of them, believe it or not, is in the book of Luke, and where Jesus said, 
Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Right. Now, that verse was actually one of the key verses that God used in my calling to foreign missions. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I had emotional connection to that verse. And so after my wife died and whatever, there was, I found a lot of things that uh, because my emotions were on edge and so raw, a lot of things that connect with emotion were fresh, you might say. And verses like that, uh, another one is in Second Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 35, where he, he, he he's gives his objective for for doing and he wants to and that's whenever i want kids come up to me and ask me for a life verse that's the one i give them yeah and that that verse came back to life but i also found other other things that like patriotism and you know, i grew up in a small midwest community that was very patriotic and uh, so i found after my wife died you know for the next nine months uh, a patriotic song would bring a tear to my eye it's, yeah. it's very emotionally connecting see and of course love songs on the radio would would um, stop me dead in my tracks as well so uh, commonly the you know the because of the emotional um, rawness of my feelings verses that I had had connect strong connection to emotionally in the past came alive again. Yeah, wonderful. So uh, all throughout everything, because clearly God has just been there with you. Uh, how would you say that you've seen God be faithful the most in everything? Because I'd had some experience watching missionaries work and hearing stories of God using catastrophes, I believed that God would take my messes and turn them into ministry. Yes. And I found that he has done that. In fact, within the first year after my first wife died, I believed that God assured me that I would be a, I would have a ministry to help people going through this process. And so I look forward to that. I started watching for for those opportunities, believing God uh, for greater things, greater good out of pain. Yes. And uh, he has done that. Yes. That makes me think of, uh, there's a song that's out right now called Graves into Gardens. Um, yes. Oh, and that just, uh, that's meant a lot to me um, through certain situations recently as well. And it's just, God really does. He can turn a grave something terrible into a beautiful garden that he can use for his glory. Yeah. He does that. And it's, and it's not going to always be immediate. Sometimes there's, there's got to be uh, a process uh, for that. <clears throat> so much so that I recall about nine or 10 months after my first wife died, I, I heard when I would hear somebody speak, whether it be a, a song, like you just referred a song with a uncommonly deep, statement in it or somebody expressing a truth that's you know it's more than what the average person might come up with my first thought common would be i wonder what they had to go through to learn that right i've had that thought before too because yeah especially those deep deep things that strike us like that that comes from a place of previous pain that is now healed 
You know what I mean? Right. Or as now, yeah, God is has used in some beautiful way, right? Right. It's kind of kind of like you know, for example, if a, if someone came up to me and they have before and said, "Wow, that was a great message that you just gave. How long did it take you to prepare for that?" And my answer was <laughs> about thirty years. <laughs> you know, That's a great but, answer. <laughs> same thing is true with with some spiritual truths that that conclusions my my grandmother always say you can't put old head on young shoulders well that that's true when it comes to um, spiritual truth as well yeah i agree all right is there anything else that you'd like to share with my audience well one of the things that i i have found is like and i've mentioned this already that Oftentimes, people tend to try to avoid negative situations, and they avoid um, apologizing when they've done wrong. They they avoid uh, confronting somebody when that other person has done wrong. And grief or grievers are also another uh, set of topics that people tend to avoid because it's painful. And I, I, I say this again politely. I actually, I've, I've done a lot of funerals over the years. I actually enjoy it. And it's not a matter of joy. It's a matter of here's opportunity that is rare. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes people will listen to things about eternity and worldview uh, and life and death at or around a, a funeral a death or a death that they wouldn't pay attention to any other time. And God gives me gives me the opportunity to share it with them. And I love that uh, being used that way. So yeah, to the whole thing of avoiding grief and death and, or loss, you know, because it's negative. It's not, Jesus didn't do that. You know, like I said, he, he promised it. Look, you guys in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Count on it. But I've overcome the world. So let's, I'll hold your hand and we'll go through this, you see. Right. And so I view difficult times as something to go through that on the other side, I have to believe that there's something's going to be better on the other side, even if it takes a couple of years to work through it. Right. Yeah. I like that perspective um, because yeah, it does. It just takes time and we want, you know, to know why something happened now we want to understand and be used and, and all this stuff. But in order for God to use us, sometimes we have to be broken first. Right. Yeah. And he can obviously use anybody, but, but those who I think too. So this is something that, that has come to me recently is when you go through those hard times, you understand grace and you understand God's love in a way that you could not have understood before you were broken. And there's something beautiful about that too. There is. Yeah. The, uh, like I said, the results on the other side are well worth any human pain that you might be experiencing. That's right. All right. Yeah. Thank you so very much for talking to me and my audience today. My pleasure. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful to have you. Um, I'll be in prayer about you and your ministry. And I'll include in the description with the podcast, a uh, link to your website, link to your two books. Uh, is there yeah. anything else, anywhere else that they can find you? Dominantly, that's where the, that everything, the ministry is on that page. There's a blog there that I post regularly, uh, or often anyway. And there's also on the, on the uh, webpage is a, a course. It's actually a seminary level course 
on grieving that a per you can sign up to get uh, and participate in to help people understand the grieving process in, on a deeper level. Wonderful. That sounds great. Thank you for listening to A Voice for the Hurting. You can find information on today's guest in the description below, plus links to follow A Voice for the Hurting on Facebook and Instagram. Join us next week for more inspiring stories to strengthen you on your journey.